Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference. And now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Now electric vehicle owners have something else to be anxious about. We'll tell you what it is and why a little later in this segment. So stay with us for that. Kind of interesting stuff. Maybe counterintuitive. Swedish EV maker Polestar has a new way for customers to obtain its vehicles and maybe bail out if they don't, don't like them. Uh, we'll tell you about that coming up. Again, interesting stuff. We try for interesting stuff here, don't we, Chris? Yeah, absolutely we do. According to someone who should know, General Motors' cruise self-driving unit has hit an all-time low. We'll tell you who said it and why he should know coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by drivingtoday.com, yourtestdriver.com, emlancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Throw that hyphen in there. Otherwise, it just won't work. I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country and I live at the other each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can maybe save some money on your automotive uh, purchases and all that. We review a couple of vehicles each week. Fun for us. What vehicle will you road test this week, Chris? I drove the 2024 Subaru Impreza RS, and it was a timely delivery because we have snow on the ground now. Snow on the ground. Holy smokes. Snow on the ground. In May. Are you expecting a white Christmas, or are we... Uh, it's not going to stick around that long. No, it's it, going to melt this weekend, but uh, pretty brutally cold right now. <laughs> well, there you go. Not not so brutally cold here, happily. I'll be road testing the 2023 Hyundai Tucson Limited all-wheel drive hybrid. I had to take a big breath before I said all that. This is a vehicle that is smack in the middle of the hottest segment of the market. And if you're considering a five-passenger crossover, definitely worth a look. Uh, get Chris's opinion on it, too. We'll have details for you coming up. This week, we have a very cool special guest. Derek Sequera is a General Motors expert on electric vehicles. And as you probably know, we've reported on it here over and over again. General Motors has invested billions in EV technology. It'll be interesting to see what he has to say. He wants to talk about some common myths connected to EVs. So we'll chat with him about that and just what EV, EVs are all about these days. Before we do anything else, let's tell you about the latest in automotive news and there's something I found actually kind of interesting, and I was expecting the story to go in a different direction, but it's about repairing your EV, and it's very expensive. And um, I was thinking it was expensive because if you damage a battery pack, wow, <laughs> that's big time expensive. But uh, this wasn't really about that. Even if you damage, uh, like uh, here's a, an example. A guy named Scott McFiggin had damaged his Rivian R1T pickup truck. Cool truck. 
um, and he had put a dent in it. You know, it doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. Um, thought maybe it would cost him a couple thousand dollars to fix it, and it turned out, well, the actual bill came to $22,000. $22,000. And it was because collision parts are very different, and it took two and a half months to fix, which is maybe even more troubling than the $22,000. Uh, they're both pretty troubling to me. I mean, what's your take on that, Chris? Is that something you expected? No, I actually was on board with you on the battery pack thing. But now that you were, we're talking about this, this reminds me that several other automakers, Tesla, Toyota, they're moving to this sort of unicasting, um, giga casting, I think is what they're calling it, um, where if you get a crack in the body of the vehicle, then that's kind of that's kind of it. It's going to be really hard to repair some of these. So um, it might be a frustrating time for a little while. Yeah. Well, we were in supply chain issue uh, time, I think, when this happened to uh, Mr. McFiggin. Uh, and it's happened to others where replacement parts, I mean, uh, I don't think Rivian was too <laughs> interested in building replacement parts or crash parts. They were trying to get parts that, so they could assemble some vehicles and get them out in the marketplace. So it might level itself out a bit. But um, according to a company called CCC Intelligent Solutions uh, that processes insurance claims, the typical crash cost for an EV is $6,500, almost $6,600. And for a conventional vehicle, only $4,200. So, I mean, this also reflects the fact that most EVs in the market now that are out on the road are luxury vehicles. <laughs> so they have that either going for them or against them. Mostly it's for them, but it's against them when you go to fix them. So I found that kind of fascinating that... Because we're always told, uh, as you well know, Chris, that um, EVs, one of the positives is cheaper to repair, right? Yeah, there's a lot of complexity in some of the sensors and the systems that are in these vehicles, too. I mean, we had to replace a windshield on my wife's Volvo XC90. And just to recalibrate the, you know, the forward collision warnings, the automatic emergency braking, all those things, the camera system. So uh, there's a lot of that, too, that plays into it. But, uh, yeah, this is kind of uh, counterintuitive to what we've, you know, kind of learned so far about EVs. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, here's something from an EV maker, uh, Polestar. I actually went to a big Polestar event that was held in Southern California a couple of weeks ago. A very uh, impressive event uh, as Polestar is kind of splashing itself a across uh, various markets. I think they brought people in from all over the world, actually, to this event that was in Santa Monica, California, at the airport there in a giant hangar. And uh, the program they're launching is a flexible lease program. And what you can do instead of uh, the typical two or three year lease is this has a, essentially a bailout clause. <laughs> it's kind of like an opt out that uh, you would have in a baseball contract. You could become a free agent or you decide to stay stay with the team you're with and, and take the money here. Uh, the, the flexible lease allows com uh, customers to opt out after five months and five payments. So you kind of try this out for the better part of half a year or so. And then you go, hmm, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm out. Or, yeah, I love this. I want to... I want to keep the lease going. Of course, leasing right now is one of the ways for non-American built car companies or cars to uh, get the federal tax credit. So uh, pretty uh, important for them to do leasing. What's your take on, on this program? I think it's a great idea. You know, you add the tax credits in or you gain access to some of the tax credits and you take away some of the 
the fear of commitment, right? If I don't love this EV, I'm not stuck with it for even a year. I have half a year, not even half a year. So uh, it's very clever, I think. It's not too far off from what Volvo did uh, with the subscription cars a little while ago, too. So it's interesting to see this pop up. Yeah, I think it's great for the consumer. I don't know how good it is for the car company that <laughs> might be getting you know, half a year old cars uh, coming back uh, and they go, mm, what are we going to do with these things? You know, they're not new, but they're not old either. Um, so maybe that's a, another opportunity for them uh, <laughs> to sell. I don't know, but uh, interesting program from Polestar. Polestar has some pretty cool stuff coming up too. Uh, the Polestar 2, of course, is on the road now, but then there's the Polestar 3, and then after that, the Polestar 4. So you can <laughs> look for those. Not the most uh, fascinating naming scheme of all time, but uh, there you have it. Um, well, we told you about Cruise. We've been talking about, and I hope we're not beating a dead horse here with uh, this Cruise self-driving unit of, of General Motors, but I think it's an interesting story still. Uh, because autonomous driving is something that's been promised us for a long time now. I, I think we probably talked uh, about this on the show for years and years and years, and it always it's one of those things that always seems off in the future somewhere. But they were doing this thing in in, uh, in San Francisco with robo-taxis, and then things went awry. Well, the person who said that Cruz has hit an all-time low is their new chief executive, <laughs> who probably would know. His name is Mo Eisenhawi, or something like that. Uh, and I, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right. Els Hempnavi? Not sure. Uh, not great on the radio, but uh, not exactly a radio name. But uh, he says that um, they have been wrong, quote unquote wrong, and not what uh, their stakeholders have been expecting from them. I think there's a, a big, uh, it's like an apology tour here uh, with Cruz, and, and maybe rightly so, because uh, what has happened has been kind of troubling, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, this is a, su a surprising move for me. With all the PR and engineering resources this company has at its hands, at its fingertips, that it waited so long to issue this apology. Like, this should have been the first thing they said out of the gate. You know, we didn't tell you the truth. We didn't, whatever the, the case is. I'm not sure what happened there. But, you know, PR 101, own up to the mistake and move forward. And, the, you know, maybe they would have saved their CEO had they done it that way, the previous CEO. So, yeah, or the CEO could have saved himself, actually, and, and continued yeah. onward, right? Uh, but uh, a couple of top executives uh, exited the company, quote unquote. Uh, they, they're looking at a uh, million and a half dollars in fines, all, all, other, all kinds of other things, just from this one incident that they had. It was on October 2nd, uh, where a robo-taxi dragged a pedestrian after it was struck by a, another vehicle. Uh, it's kind of an ugly thing, uh, but... They intend to recover. They're not shutting the doors, and uh, they're going to move forward. So that's, uh, I think that's interesting for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with what they're doing. I just want them to get it right and be transparent while they're doing it. Absolutely true. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some vehicles. Hopefully, we won't hit pedestrians and drag them. Uh, we, ha I didn't do it this week, and I am pretty convinced you didn't either. It's been a few uh, weeks since I did it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, you're going to be road testing the uh, Subaru Impreza RS, and I'm uh, road testing the Hyundai Tucson Hybrid. So stay with us for that. And we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Kuzet and Murad back with you. And we're so glad you're with us on America on the Road. Thanks for taking a ride with us. And we have some road test vehicles that I think you'll be interested in. Chris, tell us all about this uh, Subaru that you were driving this past week. Yeah, the 2024 Subaru Impreza, Jack. Subaru uh, redesigned the car for 2024. Uh, and it's interesting because we owned a 2013 Impreza many, many years ago that my wife really loved. It had a five-speed, and the all-wheel drive was great in the uh, in the snow. But this is a little bit of a different animal, so you can't get the five-speed the five speed, or the manual transmission anymore. I should just say that. Uh, they're all CVT all the time now. Uh, and they come in three trims for 2024. You've got the base at around 24 grand, the Sport at just over 26, and then the RS, which I tested, which comes in at around $29,000, which is not that bad for an all-wheel drive uh, hatchback, I have to tell you. Um, Subaru did a really good job with the uh, comfort level of this car and everything else. I'll, I'll come back to that in just a minute, but I want to get a, your opinion on it. Have you driven this car yet, Jack? I have not driven, I think, this edition of it, uh, you know, this generation of it. I mean, I've driven Imprezas through the years, and uh, they keep getting better and better and better. Uh, but this one I, I have not driven. Okay. Well, the so they have three trims, as I mentioned. There are two powertrain options. The base uh, engine is a 2.0 liter flat four. It's got 152 horsepower, 145 pounds of torque. Uh, the RS gets a larger 2.5 liter engine. Uh, it gets 182 horsepower, 178 pound-feet of torque. All-wheel drive, as I mentioned, is standard. It's got a continuously variable transmission here. Uh, so the RS jack, if you remember, and I'm sure you do from the 90s, uh, is the the Subaru sort of rally performance, rally sport trim. Uh, everybody really loved. And when they announced this car, I got really excited. I was like, man, I can't wait to see what they bring back if it's going to be anything like the original car. Other than the badge and maybe some of the the styling, Jack, I don't think they they really got there uh, with this car. So 182 horsepower, that's not the greatest number in the world for a sports car. Uh, so acceleration here is around, I don't know, eight seconds or so to 60 miles an hour. And the, the continuously variable transmission here doesn't uh, do a lot to aid in that uh, in the run to 60. What I will say is it feels like this car has been drastically retuned on the chassis. So the chassis feels really, it feels lively. The ride quality is great. Uh, it almost felt like a go-kart, which uh, almost Miata-like with handling. So I have nothing but great things to say about this car's handling and ride quality. I just wish it had 40, maybe even 50 more horsepower to kind of add to it. Even with the CVT, leave that in place. Just add add some more power, and it's perfect here. Um, inside, it came with cloth upholstery, black cloth, which is great. Uh, it's water-resistant, so if you have dogs, you have kids, you're going to go out and, you know, hiking and come back and get in the car. You're not going to worry too much about it. Uh, and then there's plenty of cargo space in the back, too. I threw my 90-pound dog back there with a nice WeatherTech floor mat under him, and he had plenty of room. And, you know, he kind of looked like a fishbowl back there, but uh, <laughs> he had plenty of room. Uh, you have great space up front. The seats are really comfortable, nicely padded. I was surprised. Uh, they're not very supportive from like a lateral standpoint, so you don't have aggressive bolstering or anything like you'd get in like a Civic Type R or uh, even like a Volkswagen Golf, but very comfortable front seats and relatively spacious back seats too. My uh, 10-year-old is now uh, riding without a booster seat or at least not the full-size booster seat, so she fits just fine. And then my 6- 7-year-old is now in a, a regular booster seat. They both have plenty of room. Um, I wouldn't try to squeeze a third person into the back seat, but for two people, it's just fine. Uh, the base screen, the infotainment touchscreen in this car is a seven-inch unit. My test model came with the the large 11.6-inch screen that Subaru has been putting in other cars. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Subaru Starlink's infotainment. I find it a little clunky, and it does look a little outdated to me. But it is responsive. It is easy to use, and there are tons of features that it brings. So I guess you can kind of get over some of the clunkiness for all the features that you get. 
Uh, my car had the available Harman Kardon 10 speaker sound system, uh, USB-C, USB-A ports, um, all sorts of other tech, re remote vehicle stolen recovery services and things that Subaru offers. So uh, plenty of features in the screen. I just can't get over the, the way the interface looks. It's just a personal thing. It's nothing, nothing you know, widespread here. Um, Subaru does offer a few uh, standard safety tech uh, options here. You get lane keep assist, forward collision warnings, adapt, um, adaptive cruise control, and automatic emergency braking. Blind spot monitoring and rear cross traffic alerts were available, which my car had. Um, and then you get a, you know, like I said, you get a great all-wheel drive, which helps you keep on the road, especially at this time of year in Maine. And I think, you know, for anybody looking to get into a somewhat sporty car that could take you anywhere, almost anywhere year-round, at least on the road, uh, I think the Impreza is a great start because it tops out at thirty grand, and you get all the good stuff for that price. Yeah, I'm, uh, here's a question for you. As uh, I'm asking you as a fan of Subarus, and uh, I think you are, how about this Boxer engine? I mean, uh, they're known for that. They've kind of wedded themselves to it. I'm wondering if it's not as easy to tune as a more conventional four-cylinder engine. Now that so many of those are turbocharged, I wonder if they need to go away from that at some point. What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, they've had that engine for so long that when I can, when I hear one start up, I can almost immediately say, that's a Subaru from across the parking lot. Um, I do think that the, it's may have run its course, Jack. I mean, like you see, you said, you see the turbocharged engines, they're, they're cranking out 240, 250 horsepower, and Subaru's stuck at under 200 with some of these cars. So uh, it may have. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Oh, interesting. We'll see what happens on that. I mean, you get known for something and you kind of carry it through. And, you know, certainly <laughs> Porsche is using boxer engines as well in some of their vehicles anyway. So that's stuck around for a long time. Yeah, so what, 60 years or so? I was driving a vehicle that I liked a ton, the Hyundai Tucson Limited. It's smack dab in the middle of a giant segment. It's a compact utility. It seems like everybody wants these, right? I mean, everybody is is buying these vehicles. Uh, where people used to buy a midsize sedan, now the, the vehicle of choice is a compact utility. That just seems like what people are going to. They completely redid the Tucson a couple of years ago, I think the 2022 model year. And they offer you a bunch of choices. It's a conventional powered vehicle, a hybrid vehicle, and a plug-in hybrid vehicle uh, versions of this. Uh, nine trims, just <laughs> a bunch of bunch of choices here, and I think most of them are good ones. I mean, if you want to be most cost-effective, I would say probably just get the conventional one that uh, starts uh, under $30,000, and you get a lot of good stuff in that um, for, as I say, well less than the average price of a vehicle these days, and you're getting most of the good stuff. I was driving a vehicle uh, essentially at the other end of the scale. It wasn't a plug-in, but uh, well toward the other end of the scale with a, a base price of $37,000, almost $38,000. And then the prices tested, I have the Monroni here, I'm rattling it by the microphone and, and showing it to those of you watching on YouTube, uh, $40,000, which is, a, I think, a heck of a lot. I, in, there's probably reasons I really love this vehicle. It had all kinds of great stuff. 19-inch <laughs> wheels, leather upholstery, paddle shifters, projection LED headlights, heated seats, uh, heated steering wheel, you know, it's filled with stuff. Uh, big navigation system, 10.25-inch uh, infotainment system with navigation in it, surround camera. This is really well equipped, but it's $40,000 for a compact utility, which maybe is beyond what many people want to spend for that. I think one of the reasons they're so popular is you can get one for under under $30,000 that, that does a lot of things for you. What's your kind of overall take on the sweet spot in this segment? 
Yeah, Jack, I've driven three different Hyundai Tucson's this year. I think that, you know, uh, it is a fantastic vehicle that brings a lot of tech. Even in the, you mentioned the, the base SE trim comes packed out with great tech. It has safety features. It's comfortable inside. You don't get leather in a panoramic sunroof, but the value is certainly there. And in the middle of this trim, the middle of the product line, I should say, uh, is where it's really at. So you don't have to spend the $40,000 to get the good stuff, as you said. Yeah. I think even with the 187 horsepower, 2.5 liter four-cylinder engine, not going to blow anybody away, but I think for most people driving this kind of car, they're, they're not looking for sporty driving or performance style driving or five seconds zero to 60 or something like that. I think this will absolutely do the job for them and is very cost effective. I did love the 226 horsepower uh, available from the hybrid system. Of course, you get the electric motor, you get electric motor torque. And I I think we talked even last week about how uh, well Hyundai is doing in terms of, of building hybrids that are absolutely spot on, not clunky, not doing weird things. Um, this is a good matchup with others, other hybrids in the in the class. I mean, the Honda CRV, uh, kind of the, one of the 800-pound gorillas in the class. Uh, hybrid has 212 horsepower, so this actually has you know significantly more horsepower than that. Uh, I just I, I like this vehicle for a lot of reasons. It's a great handy size. It does it does a lot of things very very well. Uh, reasonably fun to drive in terms of luggage space, almost 40 cubic feet of luggage space behind the, the uh, rear seat. You can put uh, certainly a 90-pound dog there. You probably put two 90-pound dogs or something like that. Our dog is only 25 pounds or something. <laughs> a little more manageable, happily, since I am picking him up all the time uh, these days. And uh, I, I like the uh, infotainment system in the Hyundais these days, although the one niggling problem is the fact that you still don't have wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the larger touchscreen. But otherwise, it's great, I think. Their infotainment system is great. It's it's not as flashy as some others, but it's easy to use while you're driving. It's not super distracting. And as we talked about before, it has a lot of great features. Yeah. So for people looking for affordable vehicles, I think we talked about two of them here. Uh, I would maybe look at a different level of the Hyundai Tucson if I wanted sheer affordability. On the other hand, if I want uh, Lux, you know, 40,000, you get all the stuff and uh, not so bad. And uh, certainly the uh, Subaru Impreza RS, maybe not the sportiest of all time, but uh, a nice vehicle as well. When we come back, our special guest will be Derek Sequera. He's a General Motors expert on electric vehicles. So stay with us for that. And we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises, but at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher EMLancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, We'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. 
Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red back with you. And we have a terrific guest for you to talk about uh, something we talk about on the show all the time, and that is electric vehicles. His name is Derek Sequera, and you are Director of Energy at General Motors. Uh, Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I'm part of uh, a new organization we have here at General Motors, GM Energy, where our focus is to really capture that electrification moment and provide solutions beyond just the electric vehicle for a customer to be able to extract the energy when they need it most. And that's really important, isn't it? I mean, buying an electric vehicle has many, many advantages, but it's not simply a replacement for an internal combustion engine vehicle. I mean, there's things you have to do to um, optimize the value of that electric vehicle. Talk a bit about that a little bit, because I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah, so driving an electric vehicle is just, it's an amazing experience. Until you've been in an electric vehicle, you just won't understand. So what we want to do is really work on education of the potential customer up front, trying to get the benefits of an electric vehicle out as early as possible, whether it's a customer that's already in the dealership ready to make that purchase or that EV and tender that isn't so sure about things but wants to learn more. So we built out some really cool tools such as EV Live. EVLive.gm.com is our all-new digital tool, which allows EV attenders to start asking questions about EV basics. How do I get charging set up at home? How do I find a public charger? All of those questions can be answered by an EV specialist sitting on the other end of that digital tool throughout the day, all different time zones, every day of the week where they can ask those questions and have an EV specialist able to tell them and answer those questions. And those are really critical questions, aren't they? I mean, they are the difference between being very satisfied with an electric vehicle and and probably being unsatisfied and uh, and talking down those vehicles to others, right? Oh, for sure. Because it all starts with having that base education and then being able to immerse yourself in the electric vehicle. That is, it's super critical for adoption. And it starts beyond the education of being able to look at some of those myths that are out there and be able to answer the questions or very quickly throw them out the window. Well, I'll get to myths in a second, but let's talk a little bit just about the advantages of EVs. You're somebody very close to this. I have a feeling you're spending a lot of time driving electric vehicles, and General Motors certainly has invested billions, literally, quite literally, in electric vehicles. Tell us what you consider to be the great advantages of EVs. It first starts with just the drive. An EV is such a smooth drive, and it also gives you the ability to take on things like instantaneous torque when you're passing on the freeway. So it starts in the vehicle, but beyond that, it goes on to the total ownership of the car. Your EV is almost like a personal electronic device. I don't know anyone who drives a gas vehicle home close to empty and then wakes up in the morning and suddenly it's magically full of gas. Well, an electric vehicle is like your phone. You take it home with the appropriate home charging setup, you plug it in, and when you wake up, you've got what you need for the next day. That 
is a big paradigm shift that we really need to get across to customers to really help them understand some of the major differences you have with electric vehicles. Home charging is over 80% of where your charging is going to be done. So it's super critical for us to be able to nail home charging as early as possible and get the right solution for the customers because the average American commute is something like 40 miles. You need to make sure you've got the right solution out there that ensures the customer is going to have enough juice to be able to get where they're going the next day. Right, right. And when people are home charging, their satisfaction with electric vehicles is so much higher than it is when they're unable to do that. I mean, certainly there are, are people that just don't have that ability. They don't, live, they don't live in a single family home. They don't live in a place where they can charge at home. But those who do charge at home, and probably low hanging fruit for, for you at General Motors right now, uh, for EV purchasers, uh, they really do a, a good job with it, if they understand, right? And uh, For sure. Talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and we've got great solutions out there that will make sure that from the time of purchase or even prior to purchase, we're working with a customer to figure out what that solution is going to be. Previously with our Bolt and Bolt EUV purchasers, we have a turnkey solution that will allow a customer to be set up with a professional installer through our partner QMerit to walk through the journey of being able to get charging installed in your home. So we kind of pioneered this approach to get the customer ready to go for home charging as early as possible. And we know that there are customers out there that don't have the ability to charge at home. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we're not going to leave you behind. What we have is the ability for that customer to go on their My Chevrolet app, in the case of a Bolt or a Bolt EUV, and have access to over 164,000 chargers across the United States, literally at the palm of your hand. And you can route your vehicle to those chargers and know whether or not they are broken or in use, and then be able to charge and have that comfort that you'll have a charger available. But there's also the problem of, well, we don't have enough chargers out there. I think that's something that may be a myth, may, may have a little bit of reality. Yeah, and I think it kind of depends on your locality, right? I mean, I live in Southern California, quite a few chargers here in Los Angeles County. Montana, probably less so, I would think, right? For sure. So what we believe is we can help with that problem. We've got investments out there working with EVgo to build out fast charging in urban metros. And we've also got a project with EVgo and the pilot company to build out coast-to-coast charging capability as well. Yeah. Well, let's attack some of these myths. And one of the myths, of course, is limited range makes them almost impractical. I think what what we've just talked about indicates that if you plan a little <laughs> differently and you, you know live your life a little little bit differently, you can get past that. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about the ability to utilize the vehicle and the associated app to be able to route your vehicle to a charging station when you need it. So pulling state of charge from directly from the vehicle through the telematics and putting it into the app and telling you exactly where you should charge and when. That's really key here to make sure you've got that confidence. The other piece of the puzzle that we haven't talked about yet is our vehicles are getting better 
battery packs are getting more efficient. As we move from our previous generation EV architecture to our new Ultium platform, we now have vehicles that are coming with greater ranges. Yeah, I was driving a Silverado EV very recently with, you know, 400 plus miles of range. I mean, in that kind of situation, you almost don't need to charge every night, right? Because uh, you can probably go maybe two, three nights without uh, doing a charge. Exactly. So vehicles with bigger battery packs and more range are going to instill that confidence right off the bat. And to your point, yeah, you can go a couple of days and maybe you only need to top up at home because you're on that short 40-mile commute like everybody else, and it's it's no big deal. But that 400-plus range gives you confidence that you can make that Los Angeles to San Diego trip and not have to worry about it, too. Yeah. Let's talk about one more myth before I'm forced to let you go just for time reasons, and that's the high voltage in these vehicles and, and you know the potential danger of charging and things like pouring rain. I mean, typically we hear don't, don't do stuff electrically uh, in in water. Uh, don't throw the uh, heater into the bathtub while you're taking a bath, that kind of thing. Talk a bit about that because that's probably a myth, right? Definitely a myth. It should never be an issue. You should have the confidence that your vehicle is going to have the ability to keep you safe. What are some uh, GM vehicles that uh, they should be, our listeners should be looking at uh, as EVs become more and more important. At GM, we've got such a wide portfolio of electric vehicles. We talked about the Bolt and Bolt EUV really being that that entry-level vehicle. But now that we've got our Ultium platform, we have the ability to get all sorts of different body styles into an electric vehicle. So you can have something as simple as an Equinox EV, a Blazer EV, or Silverado, all from the Chevrolet EV family, available to customers depending on what they need for their lifestyles when it comes to size, utility, or even range. Well, Derek Sequera, uh, thanks so much for being with us of General Motors, uh, Director of Energy. What a cool uh, cool job. Uh, we appreciate your information. Thanks for, for being with us. Thanks. And uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And it is our final segment of the week. Oh, sad. So sad, because uh, I always love talking with Chris about cars. And if you like hearing us talk about cars, please pass along our show to others. Let them know uh, when you listen to the show, on which radio station you listen to us. And uh, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, we'd love that as well. So look for that. Let's take some questions here because we're all about helping people when we can. This is from Elisa in South Bay, California. She says this, I'm turning in my Mercedes-Benz station wagon and I'm looking for an SUV from a luxury brand. The question I have is German or Japanese? What's your take? I would ask, why not Korean? I think Genesis (laughs) makes a great variety of SUVs. You know, that's... It's exactly the first thing I ask, but go on. <laughs> I think you could go in any of these three directions and come out with something that you love, Jack. And maybe even Britain, too, if you want to go talk about a Land Rover, Range Rover, um, that sort of stuff. Um, I think the new Lexus LX, uh, or the I'm sorry, the new TX and the GX look great. Uh, they're coming out for 2024. 
I think uh, Mercedes is always a, you know, she's coming out of a Mercedes station wagon. So moving into something like a GLE or a GLS would be a, probably a, a reasonable upgrade for her. She's already familiar with the brand. Um, and then I really like, I've always really liked the BMW X5 and even the X7 if you need three rows. And they have sporty versions of those. Uh, so you can really spend as much as you want to uh, on a luxury SUV these days. And if we're talking Range Rover, you can go deep six figures on one of those guys. So yeah. uh, the, the, the world is kind of open here. Yeah, I mean, the one you didn't uh, actually mention was the Lexus RX, which is probably right in her spe- uh, sweet spot. I mean, that is uh, certainly a giant seller and uh, not necessarily uh, all that unique, somewhat unique uh, in South Bay, California, where so many German vehicles are running around. You didn't mention the Audis either. And I think, uh, you know, some of the Audis are good. Uh, absolutely uh, pretty cool. The, you know, Q7, the, that vehicle. Uh, but my take for somebody who wants something pretty trouble-free and yet full of features, the recent RX, I think it was restyled and redone a year or so ago, uh, I think is a good choice. Probably the, the best choice for her. Yeah. And they finally got a handle on the front end styling of that thing. I think the new one looks better than all the other ones in recent, in recent memory anyway. Well, and that's what I wonder about X, X5 and, you know, the, the BMWs now. It's just, I'm having difficulty. <laughs> I really am with their styling and particularly the front ends of these vehicles. I, I don't know where they've gone with this, but, uh, you know, like, they're just unusual in the extreme, right? Yeah, the grill on many BMW models is is outlandish. So, um, you know, Lexus was the pioneer of that, but at least they're they're kind of walking it back a little bit. Yeah, they've walked that back big time. And meanwhile, um, BMW is kind of taking up that cudgel and beating itself with it. Uh, well, here's another question. This is from Romar in Round Rock, Texas. I think I attended a, a baseball game in Round Rock, Texas uh, not that long ago. I think last summer or the summer before in any case. I like going to minor league baseball games, so that's fun. But that's totally off the subject. Here is the question. Every once in a while, I hear you guys say that a vehicle is a mild hybrid, quote unquote. What does that mean? Uh, How is a mild hybrid different from a hybrid? Well, uh, without exposing myself as a non-scientific engineer here, uh, I will say that mild hybrids are not as robust as full hybrids or even plug-in hybrids. They're not designed to carry the vehicle on an electric charge or an electric range or an electric motor, I should say. Um, they help the vehicle start off. They can uh, the, shut the engine down while the vehicle is coasting, uh, and they can recover energy through uh, regenerative braking. You see these systems a lot in performance cars. Uh, Mercedes AMG has used them to great effect to boost the power of the cars, and they even offer you know temporary surges of horsepower um, and things like that. They are not typically as useful for saving fuel as a regular hybrid. Uh, they're generally just, as I mentioned, used to boost the the output, and they also uh, take the place of the starter motor too. So you typically end up yeah, I mean, starting the car that's one of the Go big ahead. differences is that, you know typically that electric motor in a mild hybrid i guess 100 percent of the time or 150 percent of the time perhaps is you know integral to the drive line right as opposed to separate electric motors that are driving front or rear axles or something like that um so and it's kind of an easy way for electrification you kind of put this thing in you can add some electric torque without uh, a great deal of difficulty so uh, we're seeing that. And while they don't provide a giant boost in fuel economy, they do boost fuel economy. And so that's good, too. I, it's, it's kind of free power uh, and pretty inexpensively installed, I think, is is a, a way to describe what you get out of a mild hybrid. So that's a good thing. Well, let's take a question from Stanley in Beaufort, South Carolina. Be- beautiful place, by the way. I've been there. Yeah. 
Very cool place. Uh, this is what he asks and says, I have read that depreciation is the biggest cost of owning a car, but what can you do about that? You know, kind of like the weather, right? I mean, you know about it, but what can you do about it? Are there ways you can avoid depreciation or big costs in depreciation? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, well, this is a tough one, right? Uh, I think, you know, it depends on the car that you buy. Some cars are going to depreciate much more quickly than others, uh, which tend to be luxury cars, the expensive ones uh, at that. I think, you know, if I were shopping a car and I wanted to avoid as much depreciation as possible, I'd buy a used car. I would go back three or four years and buy one that has already been depreciating for a little while. Uh, and then I would just drive the wheels off of it. I think that would be maybe the best choice here. I think if you want to, ha if you have to buy a new car and you're trying to avoid depreciation, I would try to find one of the most middle of the road models possible in the most popular color with the least complicated number of features and things that you can get blue Toyota Camry, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, but really I think used is probably the best move here. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Totally. I would say there are brands that are uh, well known for retaining their value better than the norm. A Subaru, uh, a brand that we talked about quite a bit on this show is one of them, certainly Toyota and Honda. Not quite equal to Subaru, but they do a good job of maintaining value, where uh, the domestic brands don't maintain their value as well. But as you say, uh, you know, buying and holding and you know driving for a long time, or buying a two or three year old vehicle where uh, the big slice of depreciation comes off in the first two or three years, I think that's a pretty good way to to go about minimizing depreciation costs. Yeah, buying $100,000 cars for $30,000 is my middle name. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we do here. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's, uh, that's smart smart money. What are some other tips about avoiding depreciation? One of the things I, I uh, liked uh, or thought was a good idea was buying a special interest car. And uh, you have a tendency, I think, to buy cars that... Um, are a little older maybe, but kind of interesting. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, so the past couple of vehicles I've bought, well, past three or four, have all been either very uh, special recent performance models. So I had a, a 2023 Volkswagen Golf R and a 2023 Volkswagen GTI. I don't blame or 2022 GTI. In both of those cars I bought, I was able to find them at MSRP, but when I returned them or turned them back in at the end of the lease, I got more money back. And these were this is because these vehicles were are undesirable. They're desirable, they're low production, uh, you don't find a lot of them, and they're often marked up uh, new on dealers' lots anyway. And the other side of that, Jack, is uh, buying very old cars, right? So I bought a 2010 Porsche Cayenne GTS with 200,000 miles on it. I paid, I think, $10,000 for it um, and could have gotten a few years of useful life out of it. And I still get emails from Carvana today offering me almost $9,000 for it. So if you, <laughs> you kind of take that into account. Um, you know, we're almost three years later and they're, they're only offering me a grand less than what I paid for it. I think that is, um, you know, maybe the biggest testimonial I could give to if you can to, to buy a few years old and live with it for a while. I think that's the best way. Yeah. I mean, vehicles tumble in value pretty rapidly in their first two or three years and then it kind of levels out at some point. And uh, I've got to believe that our 2000 Chevy Tahoe has maintained its value, not very high value, but certainly a, a useful vehicle to us still. Uh, over the course of the last five years, I bet it hasn't dropped a penny uh, and probably ha maybe has even gained a little bit in value, which is almost unheard of just because the market has been going up a little bit. So there are ways to defeat uh, depreciation if you're uh, kind of careful about things and uh, pay, pay some attention. Tell us what's going on at YourTestDriver.com, Chris. We're in a significant content overhaul at YourTestDriver. We're redoing all of our 2023 safety articles, torque ratings, 
horsepower ratings, EV range over, uh, overviews for 2024. So there's a lot of new con content coming out in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be gearing up for 2024. So uh, things are looking up, and we hope everybody can join us to check out all the new stuff we have going on. Yeah. Well, that's terrific. I think if you're looking for a Christmas gift, and we are coming up, up on Christmas, uh, and a, a book is a great gift for a lot of people, and there's a lot of great books at uh, emlancy.com, emlancy.com, uh, including my book, Dance in the Dark. Actually, my uh, previous book, Fatal Photographs, and uh, my kind of self-help book, uh, The GR Factor, also available at emlancy.com. So look for that. Uh, inexpensive, but I think uh, pretty nice gifts. Give the gift of Jack R. Nerad this this Christmas. I've enjoyed reading your books, Jack. I'll say that. Thank you. Here's my five-star review. I do appreciate that. And uh, if you like our show, please pass it along, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, listen on this radio station each week. We're proud to be on, on this station and other Sports Map Radio Network stations across the country. And if you like, you can find us in podcast form as well. Yeah, if you check the sportsmapradio.com website, you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. There you can get our podcast formatted for the radio or, and this will help us a lot more, if you hit our podcast on all the major platforms, any of them, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and so on, and leave us a review too. That helps us out a lot. Yeah, subscribe to us if you'd like, and then you can get uh, America on the Road when you want it uh, every week and uh, give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, we would love to hear from you on America on the Road. So with Chris Teague, this is Jack Red. thanking you for being with us on America on the Road and uh, wishing you a good day. Join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancy Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.